Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS. And that link will be in the show notes. For perimenopausal women, when our hormones, when these anabolic hormones are shifting and we're entering this neuroendocrine vulnerability, our body tends to drive to more acidity. And honest to goodness, that's one of the reasons in adding in stress. Welcome to the Less Stressed Life Podcast, where our only priority is providing those aha moments to uplevel your life, health, and happiness. Your host, integrative dietitian nutritionist Krista Bigler, helps health conscious women reduce the stress and confusion around food, fatigue, digestive, and skin issues at lessstressnutrition.com. Now, on to the show. In this episode, Dr. Anna talks a lot about the importance of detox to ease the transition into perimenopause and also menopause. I don't take this topic lightly. In fact, I want you to understand more than superficially the machine that detox is and how it affects pretty much every system from your skin to your energy to all the things, your sensitivities. So I created the Detox Masterclass and Protocol to basically do exactly that, teach you the more scientific foundation of detox, plus give you multiple protocols, both food and supplement related on how you can do an intentional two week detox to give you a jumpstart to your best energy, skin and hormones. You can go to check out my quiz, kristabigler.com forward slash detox to take the detox quiz to find out if you might need this. And that will also take you to the masterclass and protocol. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Okay, today on The Less Stressed Life, we have Dr. Anna Kabeca, known as The Girlfriend Doctor, which is really a fun moniker, and she's a triple certified Emory University trained OBGYN. She speaks from her personal story that has really been a spiral into depression from not one, but two rounds of menopause, lucky her, weight gain, hair loss, and many of the other debilitating symptoms that can go along with a not very fun transition into menopause. Her journey led her around the world to learn about true health and natural healing. I always love asking how people arrived at this place from their kind of conventionally trained position position because we're often not given (laughs) the things that we need for practice. So it'll be fun to chat about that. She traveled around and came away empowered with knowledge that modern medical training and research combined with time-tested wisdom and revenues will yield indisputable results. She's the author of two best-selling books, The Hormone Fix, a holistic lifestyle program for menopausal women. And for some reason, I don't have the other book here. We'll get it. And also from a holistic lifestyle program for menopausal women. Everything she does is part of her never-ending quest to find solutions that help women reclaim their vibrancy, sexuality, health, and happiness. Welcome, Dr. Kabeca. 
It is great to be here with you, Krista. Thanks for having me. You bet. All right. Well, let's get into this story because it sounds like a juicy one and it sounds like you look like a young woman. So I'm not sure how you had time for all of this already, but I'd love to hear about your foray into menopause, not once, but twice. And also I'd like to hear about your career and how that intersected everything as well. And then let's talk about that whole traveling the world and finding things together because a story is super fun. So take it away. Tell us about Girlfriend, this big thing. I've, <laughs> I've got so much to share with you today. I mean, it's a fun journey. You know how it say the, you've heard the saying, our mess becomes our message. <laughs> mm. Well, it certainly is true for me. And I had a smile when you said, you know, I've been through menopause twice. How lucky, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it is a journey, right? Like I experienced all those things that you mentioned, you know, the weight gain, but without doing anything different, right? That weight gain without doing anything different, the hot flashes, the mood swings, the loss of desire and sex drive and irritability and just feeling exhausted. And I've been to that place and it's been a challenge. And I went through menopause at 39 years old, Krista. I was diagnosed with early menopause and infertility, irreversible infertility. I failed the highest doses of injectable fertility meds and I didn't have any ovarian response. And that was devastation upon devastation for me and my family at the time. And that did. It took me on a healing journey looking for answers because here I was, I mean, a OBGYN board certified. I specialized in helping women and couples get pregnant where I did my own intrauterine inseminations. I did my own, you know, I, I really worked in this area and then to find, you know, like for my own body to fail me, it felt like a huge betrayal, a huge betrayal. And I felt like so lost because all my academic training left me with an empty doctor's bag. I'd exhausted my Emory University doctor's bag. And so I needed a time to grieve. And so that led me on a journey around the world. And as a result, I discovered natural healing options and you know, herbal foods and ways of thinking and other people you're facing tremendous hardship and trauma and yet living a joyful, happy life. And as a result of that journey, I came back pregnant and I, um, at 41, delivered a healthy baby. And her name is Ava Marie. So she is my miracle baby, the child I was told I would never be able to have. And as a result, I'm now 54 with a 12-year-old, soon to be 13, <laughs> but that's a whole nother journey all in and of itself, right? Mm -hmm. And part of the journey continued where I was able to reverse the infertility at that time and early menopause, but then at 48, I started sinking, spiraling down again, that again, weight gain without doing anything different, the hair loss that was devastating for me and the relationship issues that I was experiencing. And that too, that led me to discover what I write about in my books. And I share that journey in The Hormone Fix and my latest book, Keto Green 16, the keto alkaline or the keto green way, as I call it, to really resuscitate your body, your hormones and the way we should live and eat and approach menopause and the second spring of our lives. The second spring. I've never heard of it called that before. All right. I'm trying to get your timeline down. 39 years old. We have infertility. You start traveling and you're traveling around and you're finding different things and you come back from, did you go on a sabbatical? I did. I went on a sabbatical for a year. Nice. 
Sounds like it was needed probably. What do you feel like was pushing you into early menopause? Well, early, I guess let's actually address that right now. When's the appropriate age for perimenopause to start? Because it seems to vary quite a bit. It does. We say the average age is 52, but the perimenopause, I mean, we really see this window, like this perimenopausal symptoms from hormone fluctuations as early as our mid thirties. Got it. And that is true. We're seeing it earlier and earlier. So in our thirties, forties, the PMS symptoms, the, you know, mood swings, the weight gain around our cycle, menstrual migraines, regular cycles, all that stuff are signs of this hormonal shift. They don't have to be. I mean, I always say menopause is mandatory. Suffering is optional. Mm-hmm. I had once heard this and so I adopted it, that menopause and perimenopause is kind of like reverse puberty. We're coming into a lot of hormones and puberty and we're kind of going out of hormone. We are having a degradation of some, so I don't think that's even the right word. We're producing less (laughs) as we get older. So I'll come back to the story a little bit, but this is naturally flowing into, I think like, let's just get these questions out of the way because you alluded to this. Why are people having these decreases or these smaller amounts of hormones being produced earlier in life now. And how, I mean, in a way, you kind of beat the odds there because achieving pregnancy at 41, if you've gone into perimenopause, is a great achievement, right? It's quite a reversal. And so what are some of your opinions about the things that are going on in the world for people? What's in the pile that's creating some of this? Oh my gosh, this is such a good area. It's so ripe to talk about right now, especially there are three key things that I want to mention that I just want to refer back to what you said, like puberty and menopause, andropause, this perimenopause time period. It is this time period, this transition of our lives into menopause or postmenopause, and the same with men, we say andropause, right, is as natural as puberty. It's not a disease that needs to be fixed. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's nothing to fear. It's a natural transition just as puberty is. And I want people to recognize that and to honor that and to sit with that a little bit because that is by design. And I always say we can't hack mother nature. There's nothing we can do to beat her, but we have to work with, with what we know. I'm a big biohacker. So working with our design, our innate intelligence, our innate design is important. Things that come to interfere with that are what we call toxins or hormone disruptors. Things like you know, phthalates, drinking out of a plastic water bottle. Here we're thinking, okay, well, let's just drink this pure water from this plastic bottle. But those plastics leach into the water and we can actually see that in umbilical cord blood. We can see that in testing for toxicities, parabens that are in our cosmetics and hair and shampoo. Like really look at these ingredients because these are huge disruptors. In chapter seven of my book, The Hormone Fix, I talk about hormone disruptors, why exactly we're experiencing these early hormonal symptoms. I mean, from our children in puberty, like struggling with acne and struggling with painful cycles, they don't have to suffer through that. And the same with us going through adult acne, if anyone here has experienced that, or the weight gain and hot flashes and all of these other symptoms, we don't have 
with that. But when we're seeing them early, especially those symptoms, the PMS, the mood swings, the irregular cycles, that's often hormone disruptors from the food we eat, from maybe the water or the chemicals, chlorinated water. And if we're bathing in that as well, what's in the water we're bathing in, you know, lead toxicity, all of these work against us as hormone disruption. And your episode on detox was really powerful because that's where we really have to keep up a continued healthy detox from the things that aren't natural to our body that are creating this interference. So definitely number one, toxins from chemicals or hormone disruptors. And a second big hormone disruptor is stress. It's absolutely stress. And when we are stressed, our body makes more cortisol. In order for our body to make more cortisol, it has to be, it's derived from our reproductive hormone progesterone. And in women, progesterone production is predominantly produced in our ovaries. And so when we're making more cortisol, it's at the sacrifice to progesterone and the rest of our reproductive hormones that go downstream, including DHEA, testosterone, which are anabolic hormones. They help build us up and estrogen, another reproductive hormone. So when we are stressed, we will get a depletion in these hormones as our body is sacrificially making cortisol. No one wanted to hear that, Dr. No. <laughs> I know. I'm so sorry, but guess No, what? no, it's our great. I, I master. mean, yeah, I get it. Our mind is a master and we can choose despite what our external circumstances are, we can address our physiology. So our physiology will go where our mind goes. I love it. And you are talking about things I love to talk about. So I know no one wants to talk about the things that are semi-free, right? But the hour before I talked to you, I was kind of having a session about this, like, ooh, you know, things are not progressing quite the way we'd like. I see the stress oozing out of the things you report in your symptoms and how your day is going. And until this changes, we can expect to go at this same slow rate because you are robbing all of your other resources and it's not working. So detoxification, hormone disruptors, big topic, popular topic, good topic, never seems to end. I feel like the conversation does not end around elimination pathways, stress and cortisol and robbing Peter to pay Paul in the hormone cascade. And what was the third thing you wanted to say that's really causing low hormone status? You know, we have a natural decline in hormones, just part of aging. And so we have just this natural evolution of our shifting hormones. So with this shift, there's a, a transition time period that we need to do to take control of this shift. So Certainly progesterone naturally declines, DHEA naturally declines for both men and women from our mid-20s to 30s. We start to see that dip. So there is that just natural, you know, the natural aging process. This makes me think about, I mean, people sometimes ask me, they're like, will you please talk about hair loss? Will you please talk about that? But let's talk about it from the reverse aspect. DHEA is a regulator of blood sugar. So let's talk about as DHEA naturally declines in your 20s and 30s, what outward symptoms might you see? Well, definitely like with that dip in DHEA, because DHEA is a precursor to estrogen and testosterone as well. And I think that's really important to understand. I mean, it's really a powerful, safe, beautiful, life-giving pro-hormone in our bodies. And as it starts to shift, what we also see at the same 
increase in insulin resistance. So naturally, as we're seeing this decline in DHEA, progesterone, our reproductive hormones, we're seeing an increase in cortisol and insulin. And so that can create more insulin resistance. That is why intermittent fasting becomes really important, especially as we get older, so that we can keep creating insulin sensitivity around this. So I'd like to talk about a couple of things that you talked about there. Since we're having a natural decline in hormones, I think people might say, should I go and take bioidentical hormones? And I often tell people, if you can create your own hormones, you should not be going to take some, you know, bioidentical or synthetic hormones. But I'm curious what you think. Sometimes it's life-changing and wonderful for people as well, where they've had really severe shifts. And so sometimes that seems to be a good thing. I'd like to talk about should people go and take bioidentical stuff? And then I want to talk about insulin sensitivity, adrenal stuff, and intermittent fasting after that. But first, if people are hearing this, oh, my hormones are decreasing, maybe I'll just replace them. What would you say? Well, and I think this is an area certainly of in-depth conversation because it's different for everyone. And again, why are the hormones low? First, we address that issue. So say, for example, we hear this, you know, low testosterone, for instance, men or women, but low testosterone is getting a lot of attention. And so say, well, let's just replace the testosterone. Let's just give you some injectable or pellets or whatever it may be. But first you have to ask, why is the testosterone low? What's out of balance? Now we go through this natural decline and certainly we know people in their 80s, 90s, 100 that have done amazing, right? Have lived a good high quality life with good cognitive function, good relationships and aren't on any hormones. So like what, you know, like let's look at this. What is happening what do we need at this time in our life? And what's the safest way to do it? So I definitely, I've seen men in specifically thinking of low testosterone, even in their 30s and 40s coming in on injectables or pellets. And the question was never asked, why is your testosterone low? Because it should never be that like low 300, 400 in a young man, essentially a middle-aged man even. And so we have to look at that. So again, toxins, hormone disruptors. So by and working with patients, both men and women, when I see these hormones are low initially, and, and women too, they say, for example, a woman comes into my practice, she's 35, 40 years old, and she's complaining of irregular menstrual cycles, PMS, breakthrough bleeding, menopausal symptoms, hair loss. And the first thing, and I have them do a questionnaire. Actually, I have all my women in my girlfriend doctor club do the same questionnaire that I did in my medical practice. And so in the questionnaire, it's an inventory to kind of assess many of these hormonal physiologic symptoms. And I will draw lab work and then I bring them back in to go over the results in a few weeks after they do my detox program. So because our hormones are metabolized in our liver, and I know that if we are eating a junky diet, if we are exposed to many toxins, if we're eating things that can disrupt our body's own natural metabolism of hormones and production. So say, for example, if you're a milk drinker, you're drinking a lot of hormones. In animal meats, there are a lot of hormones. And then we can think of all the endocrine disruptors from processed foods, not to mention the damage sugar does. So we eliminate that. And I always tell clients, it's basically a program where if you can pick it, peel it, fish it, hunt it, milk it, grow it, then for the most part, you can eat it, right? It's a, just a really clean clean program and organic and free range when possible. And so when the clients would come back for that follow-up evaluation, they were already 90% better. The symptom scores were 90% improved 
male or female. And that makes a huge difference. So before even adding any hormones, and again, I will say start low and go slow when necessary, and they're feeling 90% better. So that was eye-opening for me as a physician. It was an eye-opening experience for me as I reversed incredible hormonal toxicity on two occasions and reversed early menopause twice. So this was so empowering to see how our body has such regenerative capacity when it's fed and not exposed to things that can really turn it off, right? And I'm coming in this one patient, Cindy, who came in and she had been struggling with PMS and irritability. And she, when she came in for her six-week follow-up visit, she goes, Dr. Anna, my daughter climbed into my lap just yesterday and said, mommy, you're smiling again. And she hadn't realized that she just had enjoying life and had just started enjoying. So nothing in her external world had changed, but her internal physiology had shifted. And that's within our power. And that's what I want women and men to know. When we can eliminate the burdens that are on us, the toxic thoughts, the toxic chemicals, those things, it's often about doing less and not more to gain better health. And I see that all the time. With that said, now, Christy, let me tell you what, I do use bioidentical hormones. And again, when they're needed, the perimenopause is a good time. And I typically start with DHEA and it's in one of my formulas called Jolva and progesterone and or pregnenolone, especially 50 years old and beyond to help us get a better night's sleep because that's restorative. And because it's so depleted during times of stress, and again, a little bit goes a long way. And, and I use forms that are bioidentical in my Pure Balance cream. And I also look at when needed, adding additional testosterone. But again, remember, testosterone is one of the end of the line hormones, but using it, supporting that postmenopausally and judiciously because physiology affects behavior and where you see many testosterone clinics popping up, testosterone creates dopamine-seeking behavior. And that means thrill-seeking, that could mean novelty-seeking, that could mean leading people into um, high testosterone can also cause aggression. So aggression, irritability, and affairs. And we've seen that, you know, we've seen that in many, many, in divorce, and we've seen that in many of these clinics, and that's what we don't want to happen. Physiology drives behavior. So we have to be very cognizant of that as we're supplementing with hormones that have neuroactive functions. It's a great point. I am thinking, I'm refraining from asking a lot of questions about testosterone. I want to go back to, you mentioned pregnenolone, progesterone for sleep. And I would like to talk about what's happening to sleep with that hormone shift, because that's probably one of the most concerning, and there's a lot of concerning symptoms, that is it seems to be a very bad symptom as people kind of slip into this hormone. So talk to us about what's happening that's creating issues with sleep with that hormonal shift. Yeah, definitely. One of the big disruptors of sleep, of course, is stress, which is affecting cortisol and affecting our cortisol flow and function. So often we're seeing a lot of disruption, insomnia, difficulty going to sleep, and also difficulty staying asleep 
waking up at 3 or 4 a.m. And that's often a cortisol surge or something that could be affecting us. So maintaining healthy glucose balance, like in my keto green plans, really helps with getting a good night's sleep and then building back up our adrenal hormones. And postmenopausally, I mean, and for men and women, progesterone is produced by the adrenal glands. But if they're constantly pumping out, you know, if we get into this state in which we're constantly producing cortisol or constantly stressed, then these important hormones are depleted. And so progesterone works as a natural sedative. It helps relax us. In pregnancy, it's one of the number one hormones that's circulating in our bodies and gives us that beautiful pregnancy hair, which is so nice. And so as these hormones start to deplete, we see those physical signs as well. And I would say getting a good night's sleep is the most important biohack that you can do for yourself. It really is. And so that starts with starting with a good morning ritual. So I teach in my programs and in my girlfriend doctor club that to get a good night's sleep, you need to have a good morning. And you start that out by really managing your cortisol. So you start with an attitude of gratitude and a practice that supports oxytocin and high oxytocin and low cortisol, oxytocin being the hormone of love, bonding, connection, and the most alkalinizing hormone in our body. So it's integral to my keto green or keto alkaline plan and really just a restorative anti-aging hormone. So in order to get that good night's sleep as progesterone declines, supplementing with progesterone can help and supplementing with the building blocks. Like we use herbals. I use maca in my formula, Mighty Maca Plus, as an adrenal adaptive blend to really help support our adrenal function. So we see an increase in DHEA and an increase in progesterone in, with using some of these adrenal adaptogens. So that's key. Magnesium and melatonin are other supplements that I use to help get a good night's sleep, but also that evening ritual. So, you know, is important as well, avoiding blue light and EMFs getting into a relaxed state in the evening, like 10 o'clock news is not something you should watch and expect to get a good night's sleep. I mean, it's probably not something you should watch. (laughs) I should Mm -hmm. just leave it at that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, since you're talking about DHEA being a decline and it's created by the adrenals and we're talking about trying to stay asleep and we're talking about literally cortisol issues, creating issues of sleep in addition to low progesterone as age declines and we lower progesterone, which everyone wants more progesterone. It's our happy hormone. Let's go back to that question about adrenals. Earlier, you were talking about intermittent fasting, helping with insulin sensitivity, which would be important as DHEA, which is helping control blood sugar declines. However, this might be a bit of a dance for someone who's got adrenal issues because intermittent fasting may or may not perturb it further. What do you think about intermittent fasting when someone has compromised adrenal status? Yeah, and I get that question a lot. I really do. And this is where I say it's a process and we have to build ourselves up. It's not just one thing. If it feels like a strain, then we just start slow, go to where we're comfortable. If we're comfortable at 12 hours, stay there for a while and keep working on things like supporting our adrenal glands. I actually had this question today in my live Q&A in my club. And same thing, the adrenal fatigue, her physician said, no, you shouldn't do any fasting. And she was struggling to get past 13 hours. And I said, well, stay there comfortably, but look, make sure you're getting enough protein and fats at each meal. 
and staying away from the carbs, the sugars are going to drive your adrenals into chaos. So low carbs, so hence, you know, really being below 30, 40 grams total carbs per day, but those carbs coming from your dark green leafies and your cruciferous vegetables, which help you with hormone metabolism, especially estrogen, toxic estrogen metabolites. So we look at that from this way. And of course, not to mention all the nutrients that are in our dark leaf greens, but having enough quality protein, often we have we're not eating enough quality protein and then healthy fats. Healthy fats in the absence of high carbohydrates and sugar is incredibly healthy. And that's the difference. We want to stay low carb, but with healthy alkalinizing choices and then truthfully healthy fats so that you're not hungry between meals. And if you are, and especially with adrenal fatigue, what I have you do is this little hack. I have you drink some sparkling water. If you don't like sparkling, it can be regular filtered water and add in a half teaspoon to a teaspoon of Himalayan sea salt. And with that, like a squirt of lemon or lime and sip on that in between your meals. Don't drink with your meals, but in between your meals so that you can feel, support your adrenals with the minerals, support your adrenals and support your body with hydration and help you extend your fasting and also support your adrenals as you go through your day. And I say the keto green way. And that is very supportive. And I've had uh, incredible results improving adrenal function in this way. Mm -hmm. So the whole concept, and this is where there's such confusion, Krista, is the concept where people with adrenal hypofunction have been told you need three meals, three snacks. That's just not true. Yeah. So let's get into another, well, not really a different topic, but a big kind of a, a aspect of this topic. You use the term neuroendocrine vulnerability. And I want to get into all the things around the brain when we're dealing with hormone stuff as things are declining with age and sources of fuel, et cetera. But first of all, talk to us about what neuroendocrine vulnerability is. Yes. And this is one of my favorite things to talk about. So I'm so glad you brought it up. And it comes from my own experience with my second menopause at 48 when, you know, I had the, the weight gain without doing anything different. The brain fog was really distressing. And I was a single mom taking care of, you know, three girls and one in elementary, one in middle school and one in high school at three different schools. And I was trying to juggle all of this and rapidly burning out. And the, brain fog was terribly disturbing, as was the weight gain, for sure, because I'd been at one point well over 240 pounds, lost 80 pounds, and was able to keep that off. But that was pretty devastating, too. So that led me into my discovery of my keto green plan. Like I went straight keto first, and I just didn't feel well. I just didn't feel well. So I needed to understand what was happening. And as I tested my physiology and checked my labs and checked my urine and looked at urine pH, I found that I was really acidic and inflamed from that type of diet. So that led me to the alkalinizing component in what we eat, but also the lifestyle factors that improve alkalinization. So with that, I was able to lose the 20 pounds I gained very, very quickly. And I had this clarity. I had my memory back, I had my edge back, right? I was able to see, remember, and feel 
better. I also had that internal peace, like nothing in my external environment had changed. I was still running a business and a mom to teenagers and, and all of those things. But I had this peace that surpassed all understanding. And as I dug into why, like I needed to understand why was this happening to my body? And now with these shifts, why, you know, what's happening? And research came out that looked at our glucose metabolism in the brain. And we all say there's this estrogen window age 35 to 55. And I I know there's, there's a lot more to that picture. So that never set well. And then this is the missing piece. When we've imaged now, finally starting to image women's brains, you know, and especially in the perimenopause, we know that glucose metabolism in the brain is an estrogen dependent, most likely progesterone, but definitely estrogen dependent process. And we use glucose preferentially as fuel for the brain. When it's available, we're using it. But we can also use ketones as fuel in the brain. And the use of ketones as fuel in the brain, these fat powerhouse packed energy molecules, that is not hormone dependent. So I would say glucose is to gasoline where ketones are to jet fuel. And when we are in ketosis, we have this higher, this incredible clarity, memory improves, brain fog lifts, and cognitive functions all the way around improve. And so this time period between age 35 to 55 is this time period of neuroendocrine vulnerability. When our standard diet, standard way, we get a dip in glucose metabolism in the brain. Our brains are basically starving because they become essentially resistant to glucose utilization as fuel, very restricted. And if you don't have ketones because you're not fasting or you're not eating keto green, then you're brain is actually struggling. And what we see during the same time period is this increase in these symptoms, all the GYN symptoms, right? The breakthrough bleeding, the heavier periods, the irregular cycles, fibroids, ovarian cysts, but we see these neurologic symptoms, irritability, mood swings, insomnia, loss of sex drive, desire, memory loss, And the list goes on. And these are those neurologic symptoms that we start thinking, oh my God, I've lost my mind. Is this early Alzheimer's? When you shift your physiology into this state of ketosis, specifically keto green is what we do in our programs, you just have this tremendous higher clarity. We actually energetically, you're vibrating at a higher level, a higher vibration. And that's really part of this healing and our body's innate wisdom as we go through menopause to gain that clarity and also higher spiritual connection as well. Okay. You were talking about pH a little bit and alkalinity. And so sometimes there's a little push and shove here because with alkalinity, your body's pH is going to stay really fairly consistent. So talk to us about significance of pH and how you kind of arrived at this. I'm guessing this challenged your own original training as well. And I'm kind of curious how you... I mean, I know you just told us the story, right? You tried to do keto eating and it didn't really work very well for you. So as you increased your greens or alkalinity, things changed. But help me understand how you arrived at this and what you think about pH and alkalinity. 
Yeah, thanks for asking for this clarity because this is an area where I've some, you know, so-called experts in the field really say, well, there's the alkaline myth. I'm like, well, no, it's science. I mean, if you, any physician checking your urine for urinalysis, pH is always on there. Urine pH is a vital sign. And that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about testing your urine pH. For me, it's a vital sign as important as your blood pressure, as your heart rate, which changes throughout the day, depending on your activity, right? So does our urine pH. And also to what we're eating, how healthy we are, if we're healthy or sick. I mean, these vital signs help guide us as physicians in managing patient care. Now, it's been overlooked in our many years of training, yet it's still there as one of the measures on our urine testing. And why is that? Again, because it does. It tells us so much about our physiology and what's going on with our body at this moment in time. So where the confusion comes in, arterial blood gas, arterial blood pH. Now we have venous blood pH, arterial blood pH straight from the heart. What we're going to do if a patient came into my ER and they were crashing, I would put a needle in their radial, like at their wrist, draw out some arterial blood to run a blood gas to look at their pH, their arterial blood gas, we call it arterial blood pH. And if you are slightly acidic, we are giving you alkalinizers, bicarbonate to resuscitate your physiology very, very quickly. Now, our body will rob Peter to pay Paul in order to keep that pH balance. Now, in the perimenopause, these anabolic hormones that build us up, progesterone, pregnenolone, testosterone, DHEA can be declining rapidly. And that's why people with adrenal diseases can crash more significantly and rapidly and need, we do that IV resuscitation and, you know, bicarb and all of those things too. But what's happening is, I mean, it's really fascinating. And this is a difference between men and women. Men have a lot of circulating testosterone where we would have 30 or to 100. Men will have 400 to 1300 in a measure of testosterone in their blood. So they have more anabolic hormone that builds them up, right? That keeps their bones healthy, keeps their muscles intact. They have more higher bone density and higher muscle mass than women, right? But our bodies will rob Peter to pay Paul to keep that blood gas pH really stable. And our urine pH is telling us something different. When we're under stress, when we have high cortisol, that increases an acidic urinary pH, so it's a function of hydrogen ion secretion across the renal tubules of the kidney. And that is, we see that immediately, pretty quickly in the urine pH. So if we're able to shift our physiology to maintain our more alkaline urine pH, what we see over time substantiated by numerous scientific papers is that we have less heart disease, less cancer, less osteoporosis, right? Preservation of, we want to preserve our bone mass. So that's really important to women, especially. And we see less heart disease and cancers, if I didn't already mention that. So that's really a critical finding. And, and I'd been in practice for over 15 years at the time. And my oldest daughter, my stepdaughter had seizures. And so when she was 20, I started digging into understanding the ketogenic diet to help her, right? Let me tell you, for perimenopausal women, when our hormones, when these anabolic hormones are shifting and we're entering this neuroendocrine vulnerability, our body tends to drive to more acidity. And honest to goodness, that's one of the reasons in adding in stress, 
That's one of the reasons we're seeing 30-year-olds with osteopenia and osteoporosis, because in order to keep that mineral balance, that slightly alkaline blood pH, arterial blood gas stable, we've got to have adequate alkalinizing minerals to do that. And so where do we get them? The bone. So as we shift our pH, so we shift our physiology to be more healthy and grounded, we see a difference. So I have my patients use keto pH test strips and check their urine morning, afternoon, evening, just so they get a hang of it and look and see what makes them more acidic, what makes them more alkaline. And it could be they're eating a healthy diet, but they have a food sensitivity, say, for example, to dairy. And they are alkaline, 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 and then they eat some cheese, and then they're acidic. And is it because the dairy is acidic? Well, there's that's part of it, but most likely it's a food sensitivity. And I've noted that in myself because I have a huge dairy sensitivity and I can be doing great, have a little dairy interfered in my diet and I'm acidic and gain three pounds overnight. So it's part of identifying what works for us. And the other thing, oxytocin, like I mentioned, the most alkalinizing hormone, as I started on this journey into my keto green and recognizing how, you know, when my, I tested my urine pH and my urine pH was as acidic as the pH paper read. So I've actually no idea what the true number of my urine pH was, but that was an aha moment for me. So that made me incorporate the, I mean, I didn't want to gain a pound. So that low carbohydrate, dark green leafies and things like parsley and cilantro, herbs and spices, turmeric, my mighty maca plus drink, and these things that incorporated these adrenal adaptogens into my diet. But what I noticed too is those days that, you know, I woke up and I walked on the beach or I did my gratitude journaling, I was more alkaline each day. So again, the power of oxytocin, the alkalinizing hormone, and how that makes a difference to our physiology as well. And especially for women to understand that, you know, men do keto differently. I mean, they have 10 times as much testosterone as we do. So understanding that and also just test on gas, check your pH, it costs pennies a day to do that and it gives us so much valuable information. Oh my gosh, Krista, I just have to mention this one more thing. When checking your pH, I've had vegans eating incredibly alkaline diets and they're like, I can't get alkaline. I said, well, you know, how's your relationship? How's your home environment? I hate my husband. I can't stand being there or I'm stressed at work, you know, or whatever the situation or my teenager's going through, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, the acidity of thoughts, right? Doesn't matter how many alkalinizing foods we put in there, you know, we have to control our mind. And again, our physiology will go where our mind goes as well. I love those stories because you're not going to find those in books. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you're using something real. I think you're just using straight up pH testing strips, right? There's nothing special about them. Correct. No, you can use, there's pH paper you can get right. at any pharmacy. There's just pH testing strips. I created my own keto pH testing strip so I can measure ketones and pH at the same time. Mm. Cause you know, make life easy. I'm all about right. making life easy. Sure. So I think this is a good inexpensive thing people can do to see little things change. I mean, I don't know if we'd call these biomarkers, but sort of biometric data anyway, I guess. Absolutely. So, and I love how you have people do it three times a day to get used to it. Because if you're not taking more frequent data at the beginning, you don't really get it. You can loosen up on data collection when you understand, like once you have an awareness, because this is about growing awareness. I'm sure you're doing urine because you're also doing ketone strips, but people could also do under the tongue in the morning before they've consumed anything, right? 
I find there's more variability there. And mm-hmm. then because of the cortisol effect on our kidney, kidney mm-hmm. function, I found that urine testing is the most accurate for what I'm doing and what I'm recommending. Mm-hmm. Now, those strip- can definitely, it's worth testing. You can use the same strip to check sal- saliva and just see and just make a note. My salivary pH is this. My urine pH is this. What's happening? Right. Now, the colors don't change that much, right? I mean, oh, yes. So it's kind of little, it's like detailed, right? So it's not like you're going to see big shifts because it's not supposed to change horrendously. It's just supposed to be darker, I think, green, right? On the Well, we'll see it go from yellow to dark green. So we'll see some big shifts. It can be over a day. For example, I have clients who say, I want everyone to wake up with an alkaline urine pH, just a little greater than seven. Seven is neutral. So a little greater makes an alkaline 7.5 eight and to really work on waking up with an alkaline pH because people start checking, you know, and especially if they're not getting good night's sleep, they have toxins or a moldy environment, maybe those all create, you know, some stress on the body, even while we're sleeping and can wake up very acidic as a result. So we can see shifts definitely from five to eight in a matter of hours in our urine pH physiology based on what we're exposed to or experiencing. For example, even after a workout, you can be alkaline, healthy, grounded. And after a physical, strong physical workout, your urine pH will be acidic. Well, that makes sense, right? That makes sense because we're increasing lactic acid secretion on our body. We've stressed our body with a good workout and increasing cortisol. But then how quickly do we get into back into the alkaline state that drinking an alkaline drink or some greens or keto green smoothie after a workout to really kind of help your body detox the lactic acid and toxins and support alkalinity again. And then we can shift back within another few hours. When we're dehydrated, we'll be more acidic, right? When we're well hydrated, we'll be more alkaline. And so with urine pH, we can see some big swings. And again, this is showing us how we are part of our environment. And also a function of our thoughts. Like you can have, watch a, go through a stressful experience, be angry about the elections or whatever, and quickly shift into an acidic state because of some high stress consideration. And the opposite is true. Why we say in medicine, you know, laughter is medicine. Laughter mm-hmm. increases oxytocin. So mm-hmm. watching a funny movie like My Big Fat Greek Wedding is one of my favorites as a first generation American, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that movie. So that always increases oxytocin and we'll see a shift in more often than not see that shift in our physiology as a result of that laughter, that those happy chemicals that our body produces. I really like this tool just because of the cost effectiveness and the awareness, you know, that it brings to someone for their own detective work. So if I was going to make a quick perimenopause something checklist, I've added alkalizing so our body isn't robbing itself of other nutrients from other places three times a day, reducing stress and supporting adrenals because Also, the stress could make us more acidic, which could allow us to rob from different places, which I find when I'm talking about stress physiology, it's always like this happens, then this happens, then this happens. So it's always a robbing or a cascade effect. So alkalizing, reduction of stress and supporting adrenals, blood sugar balancing, detoxification. So these are all some. And then you also talked quite a bit about how your take on 
brain fog and hormones is glucose isn't a very efficient fuel for the brain as we age. And if we use ketones, we're going to have better clarity. I'm just kind of reviewing some things that I think people would care about. <laughs> and, I love it. I'm going to make you say the list again. This okay. Good. <laughs> and then also it feels like, you know, I had someone ask me the other day about if I could do a mini episode on hair loss, but you're talking about the decrease in progesterone is associated with hair loss in general. Because if we have high testosterone, we're going to lose hair in certain places. If we drop progesterone, we're going to lose hair in certain places. I guess, let me ask for sure, because I haven't gone through perimenopause. You don't have to have any of these symptoms technically, but is that a very, very common symptom? And how does it work? Is it patchy? Is it just like general hair loss? And is it related to loss of progesterone or something else? Well, and this is a very good question. And I would say it depends on the cause of the hair loss. So there Mm -hmm. is just a general decrease in hair volume and dryness of our hair as we age, just like in other areas, you know, loss of skin integrity, collagen, all of that stuff. So typically we'll have a generalized hair loss, but this is one of the things when I was experienced after the birth of my child, significant amount of post-traumatic stress disorder that I had, I would say converting PTSD into post-traumatic growth is one of the things I talk about in my book, The Hormone Fix as well. But what I recognize, I had a tremendous amount. I mean, you can't see me right now, but I had hair loss all the way, like halfway. I pulled my hair back in a headband and I had hair loss literally four inches back on my head at my temple, like a male pattern androgenic baldness. Now I know my labs, my thyroids were perfect, retested everything. And I'd been going through a tremendous amount of stress. So I needed to understand why was this happening? And stress, right? Cortisol increases the conversion of testosterone to a very bioactive, virulent form of testosterone called dihydrotestosterone, which can cause male pattern baldness. And so it wasn't my thyroid. It wasn't my, you know, progesterone. It wasn't any of that. It was this cortisol increasing an enzyme called 5-alpha reductase causing that conversion from testosterone to hydrotestosterone. For those who geek out, I love that pathway. I think it's so fascinating. There's so much to the cascading of hormones and how that affects our body and why cortisol can be so catabolic to us, breaking us down. Essentially, it's, it's because of the whole robbing Peter to pay Paul type of scenario. So there's a few things I do depending on why we're having the hair loss. We certainly want to support our thyroid and we support it with nutrients and detoxing and avoiding chemicals that can affect our thyroid adversely. Cut out the sugar, get keto green, increase your omega-3 fatty acids. We need that for our cell membrane. So you could eat raw oysters, which I love being a South Georgia girl. You can supplement salmon, fatty fish, all that good stuff, rich in DHA and EPA fish oils, omega-3 fatty acids. That's really important. So I incorporate that. And then I'll add zinc to help block that conversion of testosterone to dihydrotestosterone. So then, and of course, supplement with biotin and B vitamins. So that's like a hair loss regimen. And you can see, you know, just check me out on Instagram at the girlfriend doctor. And you can see like my hair is long and healthy and lush and I'm 54 and you know, a lot of my peers struggle with hair loss and this regimen works plus bioidentical progesterone, plus this eliminating sugar and supporting your body's adrenals and all of these factors. But let me tell you that 
got hair loss and I've had patients come in with bags of hair that this is, you know, this was at the shower and this, I don't know what's going on. I'm like, well, what's been going on in the last three months? What has there been a significant amount of stress? Was there a trauma? Was there a loss in the family? What else has been going on? And like, here we are coming into 2021, coming out of this fear of the unknown, right? And there's a tremendous amount of stress. So I hear this complaint a lot. Women are very, and men both are really concerned about this. So healing, getting that, seriously, just check your urine pH, get alkaline, increase your oxytocin. As oxytocin goes up, cortisol goes down and that will you know, come a long way to helping. And as soon as I start seeing hair loss, because I had this move recently, And I started seeing some hair loss. I'm like, okay, I know what to do. These things work. And yeah, stress is a big aggravator of the hormone disruption that can cause the hair loss. And another reason for patchy hair loss could also be yeast or candida. That's another one that I found clinically was sometimes necessary to deal with. But I found that as we get keto green, we really do eliminate candida as well. And so that helps with that. And then sometimes we'll use progesterone on the scalp and some other fun topicals that can be good. Yeah. Candida is a booger. I wish we had time to talk about this in more detail because, you know, your approach is probably the third of all the approaches I know around perimenopause and supporting menopause and not having major hormone swings. They are centered around both intermittent fasting and ketosis. And I think at the root of that is blood sugar flexibility, essentially. And correct me if you think differently, but I really think that the crux of it is what it seems to be. And so often, blood sugar is actually quite tangible. I think stress is tangible, but also very intangible for people, right? It's like, you almost have to list out, like, it's very hard for people to grasp the amount of stress that they're dealing with, because we're very good at plowing through it, I think. Absolutely. Well, just, you know, power through it, as I've heard women say too. And I think this is where it's so important, like blood glucose metabolism. In my second book, Keto Green 16, I wore a continuous glucose monitor for over a year, right? On and off as I was preparing the menus and really hacking my plan Mm -hmm. to make it work as fast as possible in as short a time as possible. Like who doesn't like that, right? Mm -hmm. And so I wore this continuous glucose monitor. And what I found is, you know, the mornings like, fasting, I would drink black coffee, no sugar, no cream, no nothing, no MCT oil in it, just black coffee, like love my espresso. And my blood sugar would go up 20 points. Mm -hmm. And so that made sense because I would wake up alkaline and then I would drink my coffee and I'd be out of ketosis and I'd be acidic. I'm like, oh, the coffee made me acidic, but why is it taking me out of ketosis? Because I had zero calories. Well, that caffeine is enough on my tender adrenals to increase cortisol increase glucose and really drive me out of, of ketosis, which is thing at, at that amount. So I found that as long as I drank my coffee after I broke fast, <laughs> I'm okay. So they just switched when I drink my coffee. And when I wake up and I always do my Mighty Maca elixir in the morning, my blood sugar stayed stable and I did my gratitude journaling. But then this is so important because you're wearing that continuous glucose monitor. This is something else I recognize. I was lecturing for KetoCon in Austin and I had my glucose monitor on. I went up on stage fasting 10 a.m. for a lecture. Well, lo and behold, my blood sugar went up to 150 for 30 minutes. I was fasting at baseline in its 80s. 
And so it went up because I was so stressed, so scared. I mean, public speaking is terrifying. Mm-hmm. So in, that was just an, another eye-opening thing. Mm-hmm. We just did a continuous glucose monitor interview at the end of 2020. It was probably one of the last interviews with a company working on making it mainstream. And I wore one for a month. And I will say, and that was their premise too. They're trying to make it long-term. And it was fun for you to hear that you looked at this for a year because for a month, it didn't really feel long enough to get all the data you'd want to get. So I like these. You definitely are a biohacker. All right. Last question, which is you had the first and second menopause encounter. And I would be curious to know, I think you did probably different things to pull yourself out each time. I mean, we know the first time you're on sabbatical and you probably dramatically reduced your stress and you were leaning into creativity and oxytocin for one. I'm not sure if you did some of these other things. So that's the question is between the first and second, I just need to know, did you do different things? Because I often think there's more than one approach to get to the same result. Yes, there absolutely is more than one approach. And I think like, you know, one of the main things is understanding how our physiology is driving our behavior, but, you know, mind over matter and then nourishing our body. I see there are four pillars. We have to nourish our body. We have to embrace others, embrace love for ourselves, right? That self-care and awaken to what our potential is and what our possibilities are. What did you do differently between pulling yourself out of first menopause swing to second menopause swing? We knew that you had the sabbatical, the first one, but the second one, I guess, was there differences in your journeys back? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think because part of that healing journey was, I mean, it was so experiential. I mean, I did, I traveled around the world and just serendipitously met interesting, such interesting people from all practices of healing, right? I was non-discriminating. And then like incorporating that into my practice was eye-opening. It really transformed the way I practice medicine. And then at 48, with all of those things, under tow and under wrap, so to speak, to have another shift just because our physiology, right? Nothing in my external environment had changed, but here there was this physiologic shift that this neuroendocrine vulnerability and how that really affected me during this time of transition and that we're stressed, post-traumatic stress under the surface, right? Not even aware of it, so to speak, extremely aware of it, how that affected my physiology and understanding how the keto green, creating this keto alkaline keto green way could really make a difference. And it's not just about what we eat, but how we think, how we live, how we sleep, how we move, how we interact. All of these aspects really come into play into fine tuning a high quality life. Dr. Quebecca, I had such a fun time talking about a lot of details, picked up some little pearls here and there. I think you mentioned on... Instagram, people can find you as the girlfriend doctor, but that's my question is where can people find you online and learn more? At dranna.com, D-R-A-N-N-A.com. And I have a great show at my YouTube channel at the girlfriend doctor. So if you look for Dr. Anna Kabeca or the girlfriend doctor on YouTube, I've got my girlfriend doctor show going on. And that's a great fun connecting place. I will say you can ask or tell me anything, no such thing as TMI and we get real. Hmm, that's awesome. All right, Dr. Rebecca, and you have your books and there's a new book coming out in the spring, depending on when this launches. Oh, it probably be our early 2022. So have the Hormone Fix and Keto Green 16. Okay. But early 2022 for menu pause. <laughs> okay. That's what I thought. It menu looks a little pause. Fun. Perfect. All right. Well, I look forward to chatting again sometime. Thanks so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me, Krista. 
One of the best gifts you could give us at The Less Stress Life is your feedback. We are paid in podcast reviews. If you enjoyed this or any other episode, please leave us a review. In the iTunes store or from your podcast app, just search for Less Stress Life as if you're not already subscribed. Click on the banana face image, scroll to the bottom where it shows the text of other reviews, and write a review. While you're there, hey, make sure you hit subscribe. For Android or Stitcher users, you gotta go to the desktop site and search for Less Stress Life and then scroll down to leave a review. Stitcher doesn't load Apple reviews on their site, so if you want, you can leave a review in both places. Your feedback means a lot to the success of the show. Thanks so much for taking the time to do that. You rock. 